Hello, we've reached the Hyper Guy Motivational Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. My guest today is Teresa Lubavisky. Teresa, thank you so, so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. No, I'm so excited to have you. You have such great energy and you have an amazing story. So I'm so glad you're here. Um, some of the things about you, I know you've graduated from college. We'll get more into that later. You're a, currently a successful affiliate uh, marketer and investor. You do mutual funds, stocks, tradings, e-commerce, and so forth. I know you had a side business that you've always been doing, which is doing hair. So I know you started that in college. You're a Dextom warrior, mm -hmm. which I, we're, we're really going to get into that. Um, and you're, I know you're a world traveler. You've mm -hmm. been to London, Dubai, you in Amsterdam, and you've resided in Jamaica for a while. We'll go into that as well. You're a YouTuber, an actress, mm -hmm. an entrepreneur. And uh, we'll get into your life story in a minute. How's everything going this morning? And thank you for being here again. Thank you for the opportunity. Everything's going good. My morning's going great. What about yours? Everything's great. Everything is great. So let's get this going. So uh, can you tell me uh, a little bit about what were you, what were you born and raised at? Okay. So I was, <laughs> I was born in Bakersfield. And long story short, due to being in foster care, I've lived up and down all of California, but I would say I spent a majority of my time in Oakland, California. And so you told me that you're like in foster care. What, what do you remember being like that whole process being for you? Um, you were born in Bakersfield, kind of take us from there. Do you remember mm -hmm. much about Bakersfield or when, when did this whole foster care process begin for you or, or it, it, it's in terms of your recollection of it? Okay, so my recollection of foster care honestly started when I was very young. So I'm the oldest of five. And so it was me and my two sisters that followed behind me. But it was just in and out of foster care. Um, when I did go and live with my biological mother, it would only be for a short period of time. And then, you know, we went back into foster care, but I wouldn't want anybody to live in Bakersfield, <laughs> to be honest. It is not the most ideal area to live in or, you know, raise a family in. But from Bakersfield, I lived in different places, Stockton. Um, I, I remember living in Concord at times um you know some places i lived in and i don't even remember why i lived in but i did spend a majority of the time once i got adopted um, a couple days before my 12th birthday so that's when i moved to oakland and my sisters had gotten adopted too we actually all got adopted on the same day and they actually resided in fremont and I do remember we spent a good amount of time in Fremont living with our biological mother. But again, that was up and down. That was in and out. It wasn't a long period of time. And how, how old were you at the time, Teresa? When I was in foster care? Yeah, you said you were going in and out of foster care. Um, what was that process for you like, if you could recall? And was it difficult to make that changes? Because when you're in foster care, you're going from home to home. What was that like for you? So 
I was in and out of foster care between the ages of when I was born and I would say a little bit past my 10th birthday. And to be honest, due to having type 1 diabetes, a lot of the foster care homes that I would go in, I would only be there for a short amount of time because my foster parents didn't want to deal with the fact I had diabetes. It's very hard. It was very hard for me to manage, let alone you know, a variety of different people. And so I felt like it forced me to grow up a little quicker, take a little bit more accountability, you know, learn the ins and outs of life. I feel like people at my age didn't really have to deal with. So I felt like it forced me to become comfortable being uncomfortable you know, I didn't always know where the next place was going to be or the next move was going to be. So I remember when I was living, I believe I was living in Concord or somewhere around there. I was living with a foster parent named Gina. She had a husband and she was really spiritual. And I remember she got me into church. And when she got me into church and I was a part of the dance team, um, we were going to church two to three times a week. That's when I felt like I really changed my life in terms of having faith in God and just knowing, okay, everything happens for a reason. I'm honestly blessed that I have type 1 diabetes because a lot of the foster homes that I was in wasn't the best situation for me. So I felt like if I didn't have those trial and tribulations, I wouldn't be where I am today. So I just learned to trust the process, always be optimistic. Life isn't easy. But I love change. So again, I, I try to look at it from a different perspective. So I feel like it molded me into adapting and always wanting more in life. So I would say there's no complaints. Well, Teresa, let me ask you this. How old were you when you first were, were when you were when you were first diagnosed with type one diabetes? And can you go into and explain to me what that is? Yeah, so when I was first diagnosed with diabetes, I would say I was around the ages of three to four. You know, I it's kind of hard to remember the exact age that I was because I do remember getting really sick, very, very sick to the point that at this time, I was staying with my biological mother for a short amount of time. And I don't know why she was doing this, but... She was giving me a lot of milk and Dr. Pepper, try to supplement what she could. And that just put me into the hospital. And I spent a little over three months in the ICU, you know, just trying to get back on track. I It was all new to me. So just imagine a little kid in a wheelchair. It was, it was very difficult to say the least. And I do remember so your glucose, the amount of sugar in your blood, it's supposed to be for an average person about no higher than 80. So the perfect range, I would say, is about 75 to 130 on the higher end. When I was admitted to the hospital, it was 1,500. And people were so surprised on how I was even still alive still going about it. And I'm not gonna lie, it wasn't easy. Um, it definitely wasn't easy. And my memory 
is kind of foggy in terms of the three months being there because I do remember being in the hospital, but I only remember bits and pieces because you start having memory loss. When your blood sugar is that high, your organs start shutting down. I wouldn't say it's like cancer, but your body does start attacking itself because there's too much sugar going around in your system, which affects your kidneys. People with type 1 diabetes, their pancreas doesn't work. So it's pretty much the best way I would describe that. It's a dead organ in your body. So you already have that situation. But at that point, when I was in the hospital, it was just about recovery. So taking one day at a time, learning the ins and outs, you know, learning the medicine, seeing what works, what doesn't work trying to change your diet now i haven't been perfect with all of this over the years but practice makes perfect and i'm at a stage in my life now where i feel like after all of these years finally i'm starting to implement greater change and i definitely love being an advocate for diabetes and just pray to continue to go down that path so other people can become aware so Teresa, let me try to get this right. And you and I have had these conversations in the past and this is why I'm so impressed by you because you're a teenager and you have diabetes you're dealing with. So you had to learn how to take care of yourself, administer your own medications and so forth. And at the same time, you were in foster homes. How did you, mm-hmm. you, you kind of talked about a little bit because you were talking about how you were relying upon God, but was there anything else that you were just u- utilizing as support because you're so positive and you have such mm-hmm. positive energy? Where did you get that from given all the obstacles you had growing up? To be honest, I would say that healthy outlets that I've always put forth energy and I felt that with therapeutic was doing things like school play, school talent shows, writing, making music. These are just all a collection of things I felt like that made me feel good, that kind of brought me out of the dim light of being in foster care, having diabetes. But after I got adopted, um, I would say this was probably 11 days before my 12th birthday. That's when I was adopted. And my mom was actually my social worker. So she kind of had a gist of what to do, how to help me out, how to put me in different programs and activities to keep me afloat so I wouldn't go down, you know, a treacherous pathway with everything that I've been through. So I feel like in my teenage years, something that really helped me was going to diabetes camp because It was a plethora of different people at the diabetes camp. It was called Bearskin Meadow Camp. And it was the people from all different backgrounds. So I had a best friend at the time named Mary Jean. She was actually in foster care. We both had diabetes. And I just felt like every single summer when we got to visit each other, that was a way for us to, you know, just be ourselves, leave all that negative stuff behind us, just have a good time. But I just felt like to really help me out, I've always been interested in putting my eggs in different baskets. And I don't like to sit and sulk. Now, I may get emotional at times, but I feel like when you sit and sulk, 
you become stagnant. And then when you become stagnant, you don't, you don't start seeing results, at least not positive ones. So I felt like, okay, if I could take it day by day and make a little bit of change here and there, things will get better. But I really don't like being negative and, and trying to hold on to that negativity because that is not going to be helpful. And if that answers your question. It absolutely does. And when is, what was your relationship like with your siblings prior to your adoption? Because mm -hmm. you, you guys were all in foster care. Are you the only one in your Honestly, family that has, has diabetes? In my biological family? Yes. Uh-huh. To my knowledge, okay, down the line, I've heard things like my biological's dad having or his sister i think so that would be my aunt having diabetes but i can't even recall if i ever met her so i'm to believe it's genetic by a possibility but i don't really remember or know if anybody in the family had diabetes but i do know that my sister who's actually 25 she got diagnosed with lupus around 15 so that's two out of three of us we have the same mom and dad so clearly there's something genetic going on but when it came to my relationship with my siblings um, my two sisters that are 25 and 24 literally back to back due to us having the same mom and dad our relationship was fairly close now they were closer because they were able to be in foster homes together more because remember they didn't have an autoimmune disease at the time. So when it came to people taking care of them, it was easier in a sense. So they were able to stay together. And then by the time my sister got lupus, they were already adopted. So with that, I felt I was very motherlike, very independent, because I was put in a position to be like that. I didn't really have time to have a sufficient relationship until I got adopted, you know, and then we had more stability and more families surrounded with us. But before the adoption, I just felt like I was always taking on more of a parental role. So we may have not always agreed, but I wouldn't say we would always disagree. But in regards to my other sister and my other brother, we only have the same mom, different dads. So I didn't really get to see them much. I know that my brother was adopted right when he was born. And then my other sister with the same mom, she actually got to stay with our biological mother. Now the trajectory of her life with that, I'm not sure, but I do know that that's, that's what happened. So Teresa, let me ask you, you were going from foster care to foster care. What were those foster care environments like for you? And how you you're so positive. And so did you just develop that energy over time? Because it feels like you just bring so much energy and positivity. Um, it seems like throughout your whole life you're that way. And I'm just trying to get the idea of where that origin is from because it's pretty amazing how you manage so much. Was it very confusing for you mm -hmm. not knowing where your brother, you know, your siblings were? and where you were going to go next? Um, honestly, I 
it took me years to understand the concept of you can't control everything. You kind of just have to let things happen, let things flow. So at a young age, I realized, you know, a lot of people wanted to tease me for being in foster care, for having diabetes. So I thought, okay, well, if they're laughing at me, why not give them a reason to laugh? So I felt like I've been a comedian, not to say it like this, but I feel like I've been a comedian from a young age because I felt like it helps lift my spirits up. It helps lift up other people's spirits. To be honest, it wasn't always easy. And every foster care home I was in was always different. Everybody's background was different. I was with people of all different races, origins different sets of rules, morals, beliefs. So I felt like all of that put together, I felt like that is why I am the person I am today because I love to put my eggs in all different baskets. I like to try to see all different perspectives, all of these things. So as different as everybody may have been in terms of being a foster parent, I do appreciate the opportunities. Now, it wasn't always like this. I had to learn to appreciate. There was times I didn't agree. There was times I may have been resentful, but I had to learn just to be appreciative. Okay, we'll serve the season that you're in. You don't know how long you're gonna be here, but let's just assume it's gonna be for a couple of months. What can I do in a couple of months? Who can I meet? Who can help me feel better? What can I do? I remember I was, really into sports even though when I was in foster care a lot of people didn't want to put me on a sports team because they didn't know how long I was going to be there I do remember at school I was always playing with everybody I was always very inclusive you know I always just tried to be a little bubble of energy because I felt like that is what I want people to know me for not that all the extra negativity and what was it like when you were in these foster care situations, were there other kids or other kids in the homes when you were in these foster care homes? Oh, of course, always. Um, but when it came down to the kids in the home, there weren't a lot of kids with an autoimmune disease. There were a lot of kids who were emotionally traumatized. So I felt like those were a lot of issues that in a sense, we all had to deal with, but I And I was living with this father, about, I believe, 12 to 13 kids in the home. That was the biggest home that I had been in, but that alone was a journey in itself. <laughs> to say the least because I, I think the foster parent she had about one to two kids biologically but everyone else was a part of the system but everyone was different everyone had like I said different perspectives on life so it wasn't easy but it just helped me learn how to become more adaptive to different environments yeah, it, se it seems like, Teresa, that, that you kind of grew up learning how to network. It's, it's you somehow you yeah. taught yourself to, it, it's kind of interesting. I, when I'm hearing your story, it's obvious to me that you really made the best out of every situation and really learned to get along mm -hmm. with 
people from all walks of life and different cultures. And when I appreciate was, it. Yeah, it's yeah, it, yeah. It seems like that's what you really, really uh, uh, you've learned from that, and it seems like that you've carried that on to your professional life. How did you learn how to self medicate, and what's that process like for you? Is it a scary process? How what, how do you know how to do that? In terms of self medicate, do you mean like? remain calm Man or optimistic things in that sense. well uh managing your diabetes like medically how do you how do you do oh, that, in that I know sense. You have, yes uh-huh because you were young you were you've um, been doing this honestly, for so long yeah to be honest i felt like i had to learn through making a couple of mistakes i remember when i was younger the foster parents that i was living with a lot of them wouldn't have the energy to indulge in things on my babies, which means I have a lot of seizures. And I wouldn't wish this on anybody. Having a seizure is very detrimental in terms of your memory and your body function. When all of that was happening and I was always being admitted to the hospital, mind you, this is out of my control to a sense. Um, that's when I realized, okay, I do need to take a little bit more control. And then when I did get adopted and my mom was able to send me to diabetes camp and he was able, my mom was able to send me to diabetes camp. I felt like that gave me more confidence in being able to understand that, okay, you have an autoimmune disease. You need to take accountability. You need to be responsible for what you're eating, your decisions. I remember, honestly, I think that was one of the biggest blessings in itself, being able to go to diabetes camp and be surrounded by so many great people and mentors. I was able to learn all these different types of medicines, and I actually was able to give myself my first shot in my arm instead of just my leg, uh, my stomach too. So with all of that, it's definitely been a learning process, to say the least. I'm not perfect. but due to my sister also having an autoimmune disease over the years it has been kind of like a mirror for me to remind myself okay Teresa you need to be doing this okay you need to be doing that and then when I was living in Jamaica I was really heavy really really heavy before even going out to Jamaica and then when I was living out there I was able to focus on losing the weight, eating healthier, because their whole diet is completely different. So that helped me, you know, lose the weight, change my diet, not eat fast food. So I didn't eat any fast food for a year. And then when I was able to do that, mind you, because it takes about 21 days to break a habit, I was like, okay, what can I do next? I stopped smoking, which was probably one of the best things because I felt like I had this deep relationship with that with just trying to bottle up all different types of emotions over the years and I felt like it just had a control over my life to say the least and I was tired of being so dependent on something that's so temporary so I just felt just always remember everything doesn't happen overnight it takes baby steps practice makes perfect and as long as you're making progress and not remaining stagnant, that's all that matters. Yeah, I love what you said, depending on things that are that are so temporary. I think 
that most people don't understand that 99% of things are temporary, whether it's a, an emotion or whatever you're going through, exactly, it, it, it will pass. But many times when exactly. you're in that moment, when you're in that moment, you feel like it because you're feeling off or whatever, you're not feeling like it's going to pass. So that's why it's good that you just exactly. step back, let those feelings pass because you know that it'll be mm -hmm. more positive on the other end. Um, exactly. When you were when you were adopted, how did that adoption process happen? And do you choose one another? How did that happen? Okay, <laughs> this is probably one of my favorite stories to tell. Um, so my mom, who adopted me, she was actually my social worker for quite a while. And <laughs> I remember, so when I was living in Dublin, and I was at the foster home with about 12 to 13 other kids, there was this activity that we did. So we all sat at the table and my mom and I always had a great relationship. She was definitely my favorite social worker. She was always going above and beyond. We would go out to ice cream, we would go out to eat, and she would just take me outdoors, which I thought was just so nice because I was able to just be myself, not feel so restricted. But needless to say, we were all surrounded at the table, and my mom said, I will give a prize to whoever can spell my last name, which happens to be Lubavisky. I didn't cheat or anything. I'm just that smart. <laughs> but um, I was the only one out of all these kids that was able to spell Lubavisky. And as crazy as it may sound, my mom just fell in love with the whole process. And from there, because she saw how much I was going through, my mom already wanted to adopt me. She just never told me, but it was this whole process. And I felt like we telepathically chose each other. Everything happens for a reason. And from there, cause she's always been, like I said, just so invested. And she was the only one who I felt like I could be myself. She wasn't judgmental of me having diabetes. She loved my character, you know, just the joy that I brought to her and that she brought to me. We both appreciated it. So that's how that process happened. And shortly after that, I do remember she was my technically my foster parent for a little less than a year because, you know, you have to get the whole process started. And when it comes to the process, you have to get she has to get all these tests. I get tests you have to get fingerprinted you have to get screened if your home is is legitimate your income your job is there a good school i mean it's it's endless but the effort that she put into the process it just made me feel reassured because to be honest nobody ever went above and beyond for me the way she did so i felt like we chose each other or god allowed us to choose each other and I got adopted on November 17th, 2007. So this was, like I said, 11 days before my 12th birthday on the 11th month. So 11-11 is very important to me. I am very spiritual in that, in that context. And as far as my sisters, they actually were adopted on the same day too. I think that was just the adoption day set for the county at the time. 
and they were adopted by a different family who happened to live in Fremont. So, you know, that's not that far away, 30, 40 minutes pushing it, if that. Um, so we were able to see each other about once a week, once every two weeks or something of that nature. We kept a close enough relationship, but I felt like overall the process was fairly easy. And it was also a blessing to be super close to my sisters too. So it's kind of like, yeah, you're adopted into this new family, but you still kind of have a sense of home right next to you. But altogether, it was a great process and a, a great opportunity and experience. So there's no complaints. So you said, how old were you when you got adopted again? So I was 11, technically turning 12 in about 11 days so 11 and 12. <laughs> how did you feel when when the adoption went through what were your feelings like when you when you found out you were adopted oh uh, to be honest i felt like i won the lottery <laughs> i felt like i won the lottery because i know a lot of people tend to be complacent or they tend to complain or be negative i literally just wanted a place to call home. I wanted family around me, positivity, reassurance, reliability. I mean, the list can go on of all the things I can describe it, but I was able to get grounded and just, okay, I can, I can start my life in a sense. It's kind of like a rebirth. I don't have to keep holding all of these burdens on my back. I don't always have to feel like, oh, you know, I have to be a parent to a sense to my little sisters so i just felt like it was a new opportunity and the abundance of opportunities that i was provided with is unforgettable because <laughs> my mom like i said always went above and beyond i was able to play sports i was able to go to diabetes camp therapy i was able to go to private schools i was able to travel more i had cousins that were literally living down the street and what was it you know i was able was to her, just I don't, oh go ahead what was the relationship like with your mom your with your your new mom your, your you know your adopted mom there or you guys adopted each other in some sense um what was that relationship like and Tip. what <laughs> what role when, when you look when you look back on when you look back in time what was the significance? I, I think you you mm -hmm. spoke about a little bit. Did did the relationship grow between both of you? And when you look back on your relationship, how important was she, was she to your growth as a person? I'll give, I'll give her all of the credit, and if not all the credit, we'll credit. And our relationship, honestly, it was kind of like a best friend since, but clearly with stage play and all of that. <laughs> um, but I best friend. Yes, she was my mother, but, you know, she made the decision to adopt me and bring me into her home. So I was just, I was just very happy and relationship was very positive and I looked at her definitely as a role model and what she was doing was very selfless not selfish 
So growing up, I was able to learn just to, even though all this bullshit has happened in the past, do things selflessly, not out of selfishness. Don't just give, you know what I mean? So I was, she just taught me, you know, to always give back. I mean, I can give her credit for a lot of the things um, that align with who I am today. But to say the least, she definitely, in my opinion, would be my futuristic self. So looking at her, she's helped me build character, confidence. She's helped me. I mean, like I said, the list can go on. But she's definitely a very important person in my life. And I may not always express it now that I'm 26, about to be 27. But I do try to let her know that you're very important to me and you have made a huge difference in my life, to say the least. And what made you decide to go to college? And what did you, when you went to college, what did you study? So I mainly, when I was young, like I wanted to go to college, but the main push of me going to college, I would say, was my mom and my grandparents. And then when I first started off at college, I actually decided that I wanted to study psychology. And then after doing that for a little bit, I was like, you know, I actually like the idea of sociology, not too constrictive. And I really like the idea of a collective of people rather than just focusing on one specific person. So that's when I started heavily studying sociology. And then I realized, you know, I really do like speaking and public speaking, networking, all of this. So I said, okay, let me add communication studies to that too. So it was, it was primarily sociology and communication studies. I did try to do business along the line. Now, mind you, when I first started college, my head was all over the place because I had ideas of going to school when I was younger, but did I ever think I was actually gonna go to college? No. So I felt like it took a, a while to get it all situated, but the main ones was communication studies and sociology, which I felt at the end was a good mix. A lot of people said I should have maybe stuck with business, but each to their own. <laughs> so upon, upon graduation, what was the next step for you? Your first job after graduation? I. So my first job, I would say I was doing hair at that time. So I was still doing hair until I moved. And I was, to be honest with you, I primarily went to school to fulfill the requirements that my family members had for me because I've never been a person, I have to be honest with you, I've never been a person that wanted to say, hey, I want to go devote the next 30 years to this company. That's never been me. I'm always eager to do something new, do something new. So I honestly think that I was doing delivery jobs and a lot of people had a lot of opinion about that, but the amount of money (laughs) that I was making from something that was so frowned upon, it, it was crazy. And, you know, along with hair on the side, it was a good balance. But I was also doing caregiving. I was doing, what else was I doing? I mean, 
like I said, I was I had a plethora of jobs. I should probably focus on, you know, building a career with a specific business, but I just don't feel like that's in me. I always feel like I want a job that's better than the last. Now, I know that you're, like I said, you're doing, um, you're building a YouTube channel. You are a, mm -hmm. a, a growing influencer. Um, and mm -hmm. right now you're also, like you said, you're doing the marketing and, and you're an investor in you're doing mutual funds and stocks and, and e-commerce, e which mm -hmm. is what you're doing now. Um, and you're very mm -hmm. successful at it. You have a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff going on and you just, you moved back to Jamaica. Uh, what was your experience like living in Jamaica and why did you move there? So I, <laughs> this story of how I ended up there is, is one for the book. So actually I was there a little over a year ago, I decided to, you know, live in LA for a couple of months with my boyfriend at the time, we were living in LA. And then <laughs> I ended up crashing my car. And I was like, I thought it was the end of the world. And then my cousin called me up, who lives in Hawaii with his wife now, now wife, and was telling me, hey, I know this is last minute, but can you, can you guys come take care of my dogs for us? And we were like, what do we have to lose at this point? We ended up going to Hawaii, staying there for about two months. And then we just decided, you know, since there's no more car and his family had a house in Jamaica, that's when we decided, okay, let's up and leave and go to Jamaica. So <laughs> very, very spontaneous, but I felt like that's just the type of person that I am. So I had no problem and it's nothing new moving around. So decided to move out there. And the experience, honestly, it was an up and down experience. It wasn't always positive. It wasn't always negative, but to say the least, I felt like it was an important part of my life journey, especially in the context of my health and my fitness. And for that, I'm grateful for the experience because it also taught me the importance of continuing to be comfortable, being uncomfortable, because I felt like I was so ungrounded. There were a lot of uncertain things. I didn't necessarily know what my next move was going to be. But again, with my past, I didn't become too overly consumed in that nature. But my diabetes and the importance of heavily focusing on that was turned up a notch times a hundred. You know, the diet, it's is so healthy. It's unbelievably healthy. You know, they work so hard for what they have. So it helped me understand the importance of not being so heavily materialistic. I. I was literally living in the middle of Jamaica and there's only one fast food place, which was KFC. <laughs> I used to work at KFC uh, for like two years. This was years ago. And did I really want to be eating KFC? No, I didn't. So it helped me not eat fast food for about a year. And again, you know, it takes 21 days to break a habit. So when I stopped eating the fast food, it helped me cook more meals at home 
I didn't have to buy fruits and vegetables because it's literally acres of land with all these fruits and vegetables. The water source, literally, it was rainstorm season most of the time. So this is water. This is free water. You don't have to pay for water. I'd say the only downfall is that the electricity went off about two to three times a week. But there was literally no complaints because the bills were cheaper. I think the only most expensive thing would probably be the types of foods, you know, because a lot of them were foreign foods. So when it came down to taking taxi to the surrounding areas, which would vary between like 20 to 40 minutes, that was um, an experience in itself. You know, a lot of people, they drive their cars to the wheels fall off. (laughs) No joke. So you weren't seeing Lamborghinis and Jeeps. You weren't seeing all of that. But people, I just learned to appreciate what you have and not throw things away just because they have a little problem. You know, these people were being so resourceful. They they didn't believe me, you know, throwing something out. Again, you're going to use that item until the wheels fall off. So I just felt like it was just a life-changing opportunity. I didn't, like, I, of course, I went to the beach and I, you know, had fun and all of that in a sense. But I wasn't really I was more there to make some changes in my life because the opportunity was very random, to say the least. So and Teresa, I know you do. But I, it was, it was. Yeah. I know you're doing uh, the e. You're, you're, yeah, I know you're very successful. The e-commerce business you have working on right now in your YouTube channel and so forth. And uh, how do you manage all that? How, how do you all manage all the success with that? And at the same time, I know you are a Dexcom warrior as um as you call yourself, and I know it's a big organization, right? That um, that mm-hmm. you help with. Can you describe your work and what you do there? And I know it's volunteer work, but oh, so in regards to the Dexcom Warrior, there is this. It's it's a sensor, okay? So it's a diabetes sensor that you place on your body, and. They say not to place it on your arm, but it could be on the arm, but it's primarily on the stomach. And it's literally a sensor that sends alerts to your phone and it tells you your blood sugar. So let's say my blood sugar was low right now and it's been going low for some time now. It's going to send an alert to my phone, like an amber alert in a sense. And that tells me, okay, I need to clearly drink some juice. I need to do X, Y, and Z. And then Let's say it's two o'clock in the morning, I'm fast asleep and my blood sugar is about 400. Again, it sends an alert to my phone to wake me up and I have to get up and go take a shot. So the whole program is just being an advocate for diabetes and letting people know, don't be ashamed. People can, people always have opinions. People will always say X, Y, and Z. But this sensor, a lot of people love it and a lot of people advocate for it because it just makes diabetes that much easier. You don't have to poke your finger. And when you don't have to poke your finger, that means you don't have to 
buy the lancets you don't need the whole kit for that so that in a sense is really helpful especially for the youth you know because as we get older and technology changes it makes it more convenient for them and then in terms of affiliate marketing and trading and all of that it's all a learning process to say the least but i mainly primarily focus on amazon and then in my link tree there's a button and it will bring you to a page and it has a variety of businesses so it, it includes travel so if you want plane tickets if you want rental cars in, in different areas different states different countries there's health and fitness investing partners jewelry animals vets beauty products i mean the list can go on but it's just a collective and I'm trying to just continue, like I said, to network, learn new things, and just try to create as much passive income as possible. Um, I'm currently, you know, on the side too, doing a nine to five, but my main focus is to take that money and continue investing into other things. My next move is to heavily focus on drop shipping. That is a huge process in itself and opportunity in itself which I'm very excited for. And I have a couple other things up my sleeve, you know, but in the YouTube realm, honestly, they always say pick one niche, but I think I'm gonna try to do a couple different ones because there's just a lot that I wanna do and talk about and introduce to the world. I felt like I had to, you know, live abroad for a year to continue building my sense of character and development. And I'm just ready to see where the future takes me. So I'm very excited. And I'm excited for you, Teresa, because you have such great energy. Um, when you and I met, you just have so much energy and you're so enthusiastic. It was and, such a great opportunity, to yeah. say the least. We were talking and, the whole way. <laughs> and and, and I, I have to tell you that I just think that you, um, that just your journey that you've overcome and you've managed so many things and you're so successful at what you're doing now. And you're just super directed and positive. If I, I would, appreciate if I, it so much. When you said, I, yes, Oh, go ahead, well, Gary. <laughs> Teresa, let me ask you this. If what advice would the would the older Teresa give the younger Teresa when you look back in your life? Oh, that's a great question. I would honestly say keep going, keep having that positive aura, and continue to stay focused and grounded because so much has happened these past couple of years and it has blocked me in a sense even though I don't always show it and I know that there's so much that the future holds so I would say my future self would tell me right now is great job because this is just the beginning <laughs> and, just, and Therese, always just keep going and just stay positive and what about advice you would give to kids or adults that are have a, a, a serious medical issue going on, like a diabetes? How do you stay so focused I and would, pos positive to get through that? I would honestly 
suggest that I know a lot of people think that a lot of people don't care, but there's at least one person that you can always reach out to. So if that's not a family member, if that's not a friend, Google it. There's so many confidential lines that you can call. You just need an outlet. So make sure you can have someone you can speak to and find, try to find healthy outlets. That's my best advice. If that's writing, reading, exercise, if that's acting, if, I mean, the list go on. Just continue to find those healthy outlets because the moment you invest all of that energy into that, you will see great results. Do not focus on those negative habits because your burden will only become that much heavier. So just continue to be optimistic, as cliche as that may sound. Everything that's happening right now is temporary. So don't make permanent decisions on temporary emotions. That's what I would say. I love that. I absolutely love that. And here's here, I have some rapid fire questions I give everybody. So, so you can give a rapid fire answer. Okay. Uh, what's your favorite music? <laughs> favorite music is hip hop. Your favorite film? Favorite film is Titanic. <laughs> what is your guilty pleasure food wise? Guilty pleasure? I don't even know if this actually, actually, tacos, shrimp tacos. <laughs> yeah, what is, what's left on your bucket list? Oh my God, we could go another three hours. But I just, I just want my biggest goal right now is to just get into music, acting, public speaking. I really just want to get on stage and see where I can go from there. So TV, that's my main ones. And then everything else will fall below that. And then this is a, always, I ask this at the end. What do you want to be remembered for when you're no longer on this planet? I would say my character and my optimism. Those are always two good things that I, you know, stand by. Well, I want to tell you, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. If somebody wants to get a hold of you, you're welcome to put your contact information out there um, if you'd like to do that. Perfect. Yes, I always give out my Instagram for starters, which is T Lubavisky. And for those of the for those who don't know how to spell Lubavisky, that is L U B as in boy, O V as in Victor, I S K I. And that's all one word, T Lubavisky. And they can get a hold of and you. And thank versus... you so much for having me. No, no, that's okay. And um, and they can get a hold of you via uh, Instagram. Is do you also have an email or any other contact information? I would say if you go to Instagram and you follow me on there, everything else will be listed. Well, sounds good. And thank you so much for bringing so much positive energy today. Uh, and all thank those you. listeners. Were... Oh yeah, absolutely. And uh, welcome, as I always say at the end. Keep learning and uh, fall. If you like the podcast, give it a thumbs up. And I hope you like our next guest. You better. And thank, <laughs> you. <laughs> and thank you so much, Teresa, again. And, you, and have a wonderful, wonderful day. You too. Thank you so much, Martin. See you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. -bye. Bye.